starting at verse 26. Everyone hear me okay? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And then chapter 5, 1 to 3. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Thanks, Jeanette. I just uh, unplanned like to read as well from uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. Second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. It's good just to have that commandment in mind as we think about God's uh, forbidding uh, the making of anything in his image. And the key reason for that, because he's already made people in his image. Uh, If you kick around in the church for long enough, you start to realise that Christians speak a little bit of a different language to other people, or at least another dialect. Uh, Some have even given it the name, as you saw on the screen, Christianese. Christianese, the things that Christians say. And if you're here this morning just exploring the faith, uh, allow me to confess that we do indeed get so used to certain Bible terms or theological terms that we forget how foreign sounding they can be for others. And we do apologise if we're not explaining those better, if I'm not explaining those better. Uh, Of course, it's not for nothing that we use these words, it's because they mean so much to us. They are so rich and so full of promise. Uh, But most importantly, they give Christian rappers plenty of rhyming words to work with so they don't have to try too hard. Uh, Many of the parents here and the youth as well, I think, would know Colin Buchanan's song, Big Words That End in Shun. Uh, Words like revelation, salvation, justification, substitution, and on and on the list goes. 
But today I want to focus on some different words, words, not necessarily big ones, but words that end in itty. And hopefully you'll remember that, words that end in itty. Perhaps they're a little more widely used as well. Words like identity, like humanity, dignity, humility, spirituality, physicality, sexuality, responsibility. All these words that apply to all of us as human beings. As I've said, today we're talking about what it means to be made in the image of God. Uh, We're doing a series on creation and so far we've considered the God of creation and the days of creation, including how he made the world around us. And today we're looking at the rulers of creation. That is the creatures made in his image to rule under him which is us. And as I approached this topic over the last week, I realized I could in no way do it justice in just one week. So even though we're going to be expanding on some of the themes when we come to Genesis 2, we're going to split this introductory section over two Sundays. Uh, Originally, next week would be a gap week, but we're just going to use that as well to talk about this topic. And so today we're going to look at the physicality and spirituality of being made in God's image. And then next week, come back to our responsibility, uh, our purpose, our function as stewards. And it's all about, all of this is about our identity and our humanity. Even as we come to chapter 2, it's all about who we are and what we are. What it means to be human. And these are really the core questions when you come to study any worldview or any philosophy whatsoever. Who am I? What am I? Where did I come from? And hopefully we answered that last question last week. Where did I come from? Well, I was created by God. I was made on the sixth day when he made the heavens and the earth. But then the who and what questions are answered in this incredible and wonderful concept image of God, the likeness of God, that we look like God, that we function like God, that we reflect God, we represent God, and of course that we enjoy God, and not only Him but each other and His entire creation. But none of us, none of this, sorry, makes us God, does it? We might be special creatures in the order of things, but we're still just creatures, as is important to consider. So we're going to dive in by starting with our spirituality. That unlike plants and animals, human beings have souls or spirits, just like God and His Spirit. And this is the reason for our self-awareness or our sentience, for our, uh, our dignity, that we are made in the likeness of God. And so we reflect God in all the things that our sentience allows us to do, to think and to reason and to feel and relate, to empathize and to sympathize. All of this mirrors the God who also thinks and relates and empathizes. The Bible often talks of God reasoning with his people. It talks of God expressing emotions such as anger or grief or delight. It talks of Him showing compassion on His people. And these are the things that He's also instilled into us. But He also gives us the ability to make decisions and to plan ahead. 
to respond to people and to circumstances. Many have wondered why, why did God give Adam and Eve the choice to obey or disobey? You know, why not just remove the options and they could live happily ever after? Well, it's because we're made in His image. And decision, as difficult as it can be, is part of who we are, an important part of who we are. And it's not just about right or wrong and choosing right over wrong. God made us to enjoy the freedom of choosing, of choosing between good things. In the garden, it was full of right options. They were everywhere, all these fruit, all these trees, all these options, all the things they could do. And there was really only one wrong option. And it's because the variety of choice helps us thrive as image bearers. That's what God gave us. But there's even more to God's image in us. He gives us the ability to speak and communicate. He who, remember, made the world with a simple word and who spoke the incarnation of Jesus, that is, Jesus becoming a man. He spoke that. He who did these things gave us the gift of words. And as we've said, words have power. They have the power to build. They have the power to destroy. They have the power to redeem. I don't think it's too much to say words are a godlike power. They are a godlike power, never to be used flippantly. Never to be taken for granted. And so it's worth us just pausing briefly and reflecting on how you've been using your words lately. Consider some particular situations in your mind. How did you express yourself through communication? Was it intentional or was it unthinking? Was it to build up or to bring down? Was it to create or destroy, or redeem. And how can you use your words this day, after church, in whatever the rest of the day holds, with your family, with other people? How can we use our words? And then finally, the image of God instills us with eternity. Eternity, another good itty word there. As Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has set eternity in the human heart. We are made for forever. And isn't this why the world absolutely worships youth? Why the advertising market is flooded with ways to stay young, through beauty, fitness, whatever it is. Why sport and exercise are basically deified in our culture. And why science keeps searching for ways to beat death. Because we were made for it. Our spirits and our souls are made to live on. And in fact, our bodies are made for that as well. It's the image of God in us. And all of this is is what makes us human. Our identity, our humanity is defined by this dignity, by this spirituality of being made in the likeness of God. And it's important to recognize that that sets us apart. That it makes us holy, right from the beginning of the Bible. Holy means set apart, and that's what we are to the rest of creation. Remember, we saw it on day six. It was the sixth day. It was a special day. 
God made this special announcement, let us make man. And the evaluation stepped up to very good, not just good, very good. People are special. I've mentioned before how this gets downplayed when we raise animals to the same level as human beings. When we put animal welfare over human welfare. We even refer to animal treatment as humane or inhumane, don't we? But they're not humans. Animals don't have souls. They don't bear God's image. Now, of course, they are living things. They are part of God's creation. And so we ought to care for them, as we'll think about more next week in regards to stewardship. But animals are not people. In the last afternoon service, we looked at the story of Jesus exercising a legion of demons from a man and sending them into a herd of pigs. You can find it in Mark 5 or Luke 8. Uh, And it highlighted how those demons were literally destroying the image of God in that man. Uh, They were doing it mentally. He was going crazy. They were doing it emotionally. He was depressed. They were doing it physically. He was cutting himself and trashing his body. They were doing it relationally. He was cut off from society. All the things that make him in the likeness of God, that it was being destroyed. And how much better it was for those demons to kill a herd of animals than to rob a single image bearer of his humanity. That's the, that's the choice that Jesus made that day. This man's dignity and his eternity were far, far more important. But as soon as that tempts us to pride or to big-headedness, we're special, we do need to consider the other side of our special status. That yes, we are images of God, but we're also just images of God. We are not God himself. And so human dignity demands human humility. Humanity needs humility. Can I call it humanility or is that a bit lame? Anyway, humility is essential for humanity. Because whenever we try to rise above our station, our human status, we inevitably fall below it every time. Whenever we try to take God's place, we instead become like animals. Story in uh, Daniel chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar is turned into a beast physically and mentally, and he's grazing with the wild animals. It's a a great story. Um, All of that happens because he saw himself as God, like many of the kings and emperors did in those times. They were God. And he worshipped himself. In the chapter before with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, he's made this huge golden statue of himself and he's demanding that the entire kingdom will bow down and worship him. Can you see the irony? Instead of acknowledging that I'm made in the image of God, he's saying my image is at the top, everybody else worship it. And so God turns him into an animal in order to bless him with humility, doesn't he? And it's amazing how you see this kind of thing play out even in kids' movies, or at least 10 to 20 years ago. Uh, I've said it before, The Emperor's New Groove is basically a Disney version of Daniel 4. The Emperor is turned into a llama, has to learn humility. 
In Beauty and the Beast, the beast has to learn love and humility to undo the curse of his arrogance, where his inner nature has basically been applied to his outer appearance. Then good old Shrek retells that classic story of inner beauty defeating outer ugliness, although with a little bit of a twist at the end. Even something like the hunchback does the same. Because where the heroes in these stories often look like beasts or they're a bit hideous, they act like humans with humility and dignity. But the villains who often look like humans and and often find specimens of humans, they act like animals because their arrogance makes them beastly mean. And history shows us the exact same thing, doesn't it? Nazis treated Jews like they were animals. They considered them lesser human beings, not as far advanced on the evolutionary process. And so they did ghastly things to them, killing millions. So who were really the animals in that situation? The Communist Party of Kampuchea, Cambodia in the 70s, they slaughtered two million so-called dissenters in the killing fields often using poison or blunt instruments or trees because they didn't want to use ammunition. Who are the people and who are the animals? Who's superior and who's inferior? And see, while those kids' stories teach a good lesson, they struggle when it comes to teaching a good solution. Uh, It's usually just a romantic relationship that'll fix things. Or maybe learning to be friends with someone, that'll do the trick. But the real solution is far, far more significant than that. And that is a redeemer. It's a relationship with the God in whose image we are made. A reconciliation that achieves a restoration of our true humanity in reflection of him. That's the solution. That's the solution in Christ. And only then can we love each other and only then can we serve each other as God intended us to. Only when we see what it means to be created in God's image, to be redeemed in God's image. And then we know that all people must be loved, regardless of race or culture, or background, or disability, or sexuality, or gender, or personality, or appearance. The world's crying out for this, aren't they? The Black Lives Matter movement, all the accusations of racism, they're desperately crying out for this kind of equality and and good dignity treatment, but they don't know where the solution is. So how is it that you are loving others? With dignity? Is that how you're loving those who are different to you? Is that how you're loving those who disagree with you? Do we acknowledge in our hearts that they too are made in God's image? The likeness of God. So that's the spiritual side of God's image in us. But as we considered uh, in the book review earlier, the physical side is just as important. 
We're also made in God's image in our biology and in our sexuality, our physicality. And before I step into any controversial ground, I want us to just see the broad reality and the beauty of this, that our bodies are made in God's image. Every part of them, our feet for movement, our our arms for carrying, our hands for handling, our eyes for seeing, our ears for hearing, and as before, our mouths for speaking and eating and drinking. And again, the Bible talks about the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who speaks, the God who carries. These abilities that our bodies provide us are abilities based on God's abilities. That doesn't mean that we have all of His abilities, not even close. But the abilities that we do have come from God. Even our sexuality Our reproductive organs, they reflect God as he provides a way for us to create more image bearers. Of course, it's him who's creating. But he provides a way for us to fill the earth, even as he fills the earth. And let's not forget, as before, that our physicality is also about enjoyment, as well as reflecting him. We get to see creation. We get to share conversations. We get to hear laughter. We get to taste food. There's the pleasure of sex. There's working with our hands. There's moving with our feet, exercise, all that kind of stuff. These things were made for our enjoyment. Of course, in our bodies, there are disabilities and deformities and disorders, just as there are in our minds just as there are in our emotions and in our spirits. And it's true that these subtract from God's reflection in us. There's a brokenness there and it goes hand in hand with our own tendency to deform instead of form or disorder instead of order. We also disable instead of enable, don't we? And so we need to seek redemption from outside of ourselves. From God's Son. He who was given the likeness of God who made perfectly in His image and who bore it perfectly and who also through His death restores that image to us. But still, the reality of disability and deformity and disorder does not negate the original goodness of our physicality. It does not lower the significance of the body in discerning who we are. And this is what Nancy Pearson's book so passionately highlights, that our humanity includes our biology and our identity is partly sourced from the bodies we wear. As Johan described, so many of the issues in our society today come from this low view of the body, which is incredibly ironic when you think about it because everybody's trying to keep the body alive, keep it fit, keep it healthy, make it last as long as possible, but at the same time, reject it. Don't listen to it. But abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, transgenderism, all of these issues seek to disconnect the body from our personhood. This good thing that God made. It doesn't matter what bits you've got or what your body says. It's more about how you feel. 
or what you desire. And so instead of the objective realities that our biology provides us, in God's creation, we go by the subjective shifting ideas of thoughts and feelings and backgrounds. And even more, we go by the prevailing culture, don't we? Because that is what shapes our thoughts and feelings and backgrounds. And it's ever-changing. Ever-influential and ever-changing. In fact, the more we reject the inalienable identity of our physical bodies, the more we lose any objective standard of identity and hand it over to the culture or to the state to define and determine for us. And it's deceiving, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when I was first sort of reading through this book and presented with this principle, I thought, it just doesn't seem right. I mean... Our world seems to promote the body. It's in beauty, in, in healthcare, in exercise. It seems like good stewardship. But even those things are just being used to put the body back in its lower place, to dominate it, to, to whip it into shape or according to our desires and to be the boss over it in that sense. To enslave it, you might say. The ancient Babylonians believed that human beings were basically made to be slaves of the lesser gods. So the lesser gods were given these annoying jobs from the higher gods and they thought, we don't want to do this stupid work. Let's make human beings and they can do that annoying work for us. It's a a very dignified view of humanity. And nowadays we would scoff at that low view and we hate slavery with a passion, don't we? But we ironically do these sorts of things with ourselves or at least with our bodies we treat them the same way and yet our bodies our biology our sexuality is from God that's why it says male and female he created them both are made in his image both have equal humanity and dignity Both are equally spiritual. But they're still different. And all those differences also come from God. The physical differences. The emotional differences. The mental differences. And these are not about better or worse. They're not about lesser or greater. They're about God-given diversity and Complementarity. Another couple of itty words for you to take away. We are complementary. And do you know where we get that? From God. He's made us to be the same in nature, but different in function or in role. A bit like the persons of the Trinity, who in nature are one being God, but in function are different persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. We're going to come back more to this at the end of the series when we talk about relationships and family and marriage in chapter 2. But let me just say this again. Our bodies are gifts from God. Reflecting Him. Our gender, our sexuality, our complementarity, it is a gift from God. Reflecting Him. 
And so where there is deformity or disability or disorder in our lives or in someone else's life, whether it's in the mind, whether it's in the soul, whether it's in the body, whether it's in the sexuality, whether it's in the relationships that we all have, we need to bring to bear the love and the redemption of Jesus Christ who seeks to restore the original good of what God instilled in us. We need to care for others who are struggling with disorders or disabilities. As fellow image bearers, and so share the joy of a God-defined and holistic view of the person and the self. We need to love and not to judge. We need to welcome those who are struggling in those ways, including each other here. But we also need to get off our butts and go find them and serve them and help them. As Jesus did when he came from heaven to bring the kingdom to earth, as he calls us to do in his name. We'll talk more about that next week. Shall we just pray? Father God, we just praise you and give you thanks for the way in which you've made us. Not as mere creatures, but as image bearers. Made in your image to look like you and to function like you and to serve you. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us souls, spirits, awareness of who we are in our existence. The ability to feel and think, to make decisions, to communicate. The ability to hope for eternity and the ability to worship you and glorify you. And we thank you, Lord, for our bodies. for the ways that you've made us all different, but all reflecting you. Lord, for the abilities we have to use our bodies to serve and to enjoy life. And Lord, we just pray that even where we deal with disability and disorder, that you will show us again the goodness of what you've created and how you've created us. And that you will restore it and redeem it through Jesus. And Lord, make us part of that too. Part of that process that we use all these wonderful things, these abilities that we have in, in, in your likeness, that we use those to serve others who bear your image, to serve others who are dealing with the disruption to your likeness in them. Lord, give us that task and give us all we need 
to go and serve others and help others. So that more and more might celebrate you and the gospel, but also the goodness that you have given in creation and in humanity. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.